You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 today. 1 Samuel chapter 30, as you're turning there, I hope you have access to that piece and uh, you're regularly uh, taking full advantage of it. If you don't know Christ as Savior, one of the things I'm well aware of as we sing these songs is often we have folks that are right at that tipping point. You're here in church today because you're seeking the Lord and God's seeking you. And uh, wherever you feel like you're an outsider looking in, maybe on those truths or that that heart-level relationship with God, uh, it's available to you today, and uh, we're nothing special, we, we in the room who have that relationship with God. He found us, just like maybe He wants to find you today and connect with you and meet not just physical and emotional and maybe even mental needs, but spiritual needs. And uh, we just had a gal, a lady visit our church, got saved last night after the service, and, uh, and uh, God can do it again this morning if that's you, whatever stage and age and wherever you're at today, I know that uh, God offers you that peace but it comes only through the Prince of Peace, and that's Jesus. You have to repent of sin and receive Him as Savior. So I trust you will yield to that today if that's your need. We'd be thrilled to partner with you in that. First Samuel chapter 30 today. We're going to read the first six verses together. And last night we talked about incremental stress and processing that in a way that pleases the Lord. And if you weren't able to be with us or track with us online, we invite you to catch up with that. You can find that on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel but I hope you'll take advantage of that. That was more of a principle-based study. Today we want to look at a narrative section of Scripture and see how stress is to be processed in real time and space. And so let's pick up at the end of really a phase of David's life just prior to him becoming king. Verse number 1 of 1 Samuel 30 says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day. This is hometown for David in this moment, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag uh, and had and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. So try to put yourself in that scenario. Verse 4, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam, uh, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David, verse 6, notice this, was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. I find it ironic, it says nothing about their wives, so whatever that means. You read between the lines however you want but grieve for their sons and daughters. Notice then the end of verse 6, in all seriousness, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And so what I look at secondly today, not only processing incremental stress in God's way, here it is, resolving traumatic stress God's way. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these rich songs, and Lord, uh, each of these here today entering into our worship in whatever phase of their walk uh, with you, their relationship with you that either has begun or is continuing or maybe is about to begin today as they yield to your truth. I pray that you would help us, Lord, where stress uh, is not <laughs> resolved, it's not processed and resolved through the methodology and the prism of your word. pray that today you would refine us where we are allowing stress to create division between us and you and others and hindering our walk with you and our service uh, for you and to others. Pray that you would move and work in our hearts. Thank you for what you've done already this weekend that we've shared together, the service last night and the, the split sessions earlier today. Now as we enter this time, I pray that you would truly move and work in hearts and minds. Help us to identify where trauma has been uh, imposed upon us, or maybe we've even caused trauma to others, and all of the residuals of that, the tentacles of that, that we still have to detach ourselves from. I pray that you would move. Pray for several who are dealing with um, difficult situations, even this morning, some hospitalized overnight and the what-ifs and challenges and grief and 
just all kinds of things in this room. I pray that you would soothe and steady hearts. You would transform our minds and our hearts to be aligned with you better as a result of our time today. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So our theme this weekend is stress. And as I mentioned, we began that last night and then talked about how it uniquely is processed by men and teenage young men, and then also our ladies and teenage uh, girls as well. But I wanted to give you just a brief summary of stress because I think often we are not identifying what is a root cause of much of what we're facing in our society today. According to the American Institute of Stress, yeah, there actually is an institute of stress, 77% of Americans regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress, 77%. That means stress is much more than simply feeling a heavy load or experiencing a busy schedule. It impacts your body, this article said, in a real and tangible way with symptoms that include, here's a list of some of these, headaches, loss of energy, chest pain, nausea, uh, dizziness, and the list goes on. The same study also said that 48% of people lie awake at night and have difficulty sleeping because of that same stress. So here would be the thought in the room even this morning as we gather, eight out of ten people in this room are dealing with stress, whether they've identified it or not. And that's not to play victims, okay? That's not the spirit of our weekend, but it's to identify where the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ needs to be brought to bear. Eight out of ten in the room this morning. And then if you think about it, both in this service as well as maybe if you're stuck in traffic, almost half of the people that you interact with are not sleeping as much as they should. They're sleeping less than they should on a regular basis. Now, a little scary to think about, especially in traffic, that one out of every two cars, the guy could, could fall asleep or could be impaired by a lack of uh, restfulness the night before. And so it impacts us in many different ways. And so what we're speaking to today is the gospel applied to real life. Sometimes the gospel in the Word of God is just given in an academic sense or an abstract sense. We want to speak confidently to the core issues that we all are dealing with, uh, maybe even uh, this morning. Now, may I say this before we begin, and I touched on this last night as well, processing specifically traumatic stress has less to do with the externals. I'm not minimizing the need for counseling and support and processing wherever you have had trauma uh, in your life, but it has less to do with what has happened and more how you're processing it uh, on the inside. And so with God's help, we want to seek to change or transform where those things need to be adjusted. Um, Now, last night we talked about what we called acute, uh, we talked about chronic stress, which would be something where there's kind of like a low burn, there's a slow burn of of challenges and burdens and stress in our life. Maybe it's just incremental things that are always happening that, that, that reach critical mass in some way. Today we want to talk about acute uh, stress and the, the, the results of that in our lives even as believers. And most would define this, acute traumatic stress, as this, the development of specific fear behaviors that last from three days to one month after the traumatic event. So it's not something that just leaves within a few minutes or hours. This is something that persists, that we have trouble shaking ourselves free from. The symptoms would uh, be the result of possibly witnessing a death or threat of death, a serious injury or assault. Um, Other traumatic events would be a physical attack. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but one of our missionary friends in South Africa, their house was broken into in the middle of the night while they were there. And they posted some of the video footage of that incident. Having your space, your personal space violated, um, that's something that you don't just recover from overnight. And so these lingering effects of assault or attack or even maybe hearing of it uh, in someone else's life, consistent exposure to that can also lead to this uh, situation. Now, if you go back to our text, to verse 6, you find a word used of David. Now, David is going to be king. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. All these monikers and labels that have been ascribed to him. But notice the beginning of verse 7. It says, and David was greatly distressed. David was greatly distressed. The word distress that's found there in verse uh, number 6 has this idea, to bind, to be distressed, to be in distress, and then this idea, to be cramped, to be narrowed, to be scant, 
to be in a strait. So basically, you're restricted by what has happened. May I submit to you lovingly today, one of the saddest things that I observe, both in my own life at times and in others, is seeing a believer whose faith, hope, and love have been narrowed by something that the gospel can free them from. I'm not saying with a zap, I'm not saying this is an instantaneous thing, but through a process of intentional faith and hope and obedience, we don't have to be narrowed by our trauma, we can actually be freed from it and through it with the Lord's help. So here's the question as we begin today. In a world filled with distracting and intense stress and trauma, how do we stay locked in upon the God of all comfort? Let's talk about two areas that we need greater focus in that will help us uh, with this area of trauma. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, being focused uh, when we are distressed. Oh, I didn't show you this picture. Let me do that before we move on. So this is a, um, this is a uh, grave marker for a gentleman named Mel Blank. Um, you may not know of him, but if you look at the first line, you see the first line above his name? That's all, folks. Does that ring a bell for us that are over the age of whatever? Um, Mel Blank was known as the um, voice of Bugs Bunny, Woody Woodpecker, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Tweety Pie, Syl Sylvester, and a bunch of other Looney Tune characters. And then he also, as if that was not enough, he was the guy in the closing credits, that's all, folks, that, 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 that's all, folks. You know, he would say that to close out uh, the, 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 the special or the video or the movie. And so they put on his gravestone this statement at the very end, that's all, folks. You know what's interesting to me, and the reason I show that this morning is the disposition of even death, how we process death, so little of it is actually the death and the loss. It's, it's, it's how we believe about it, how we view it. Um, and I love to see uh, the spirit of this in, in that, I don't know if he was a believer or not, but just viewing even a difficult moment uh, through a different lens. And so may we view trauma through the lens of uh, God's work. All right, so let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this. Number one, let's talk about, first of all, having greater focus when we are distressed. Focus when we are distressed. Any of you men especially remember in the room back when COVID first hit and they shut down all of sports, like all of it. And we're like, like now I have to talk to my wife and like, <laughs> like what is that? I don't know how to do that. And, and just sports was just obliterated. And, and I remember talking to some of the men. We weren't worried about the world dying of some large pandemic. We were going to die of boredom. Okay, that was our, that was our concern. Um, and I remember the boys and I, especially when sports first started coming back, like ESPN would carry like a cherry pit spitting contest. And you'd be like, come on, you know, like you just, you want something to cheer for. It's live sports. It's two guys spitting these things, gross things, you know, 10 feet out from them, but you just, you would cheer them on. And one of the things we got on a little bit, I haven't seen it lately, but my boys for a while were watching uh, a, a, uh, something I'd never seen on TV before called World Chase Tag, where they have two guys on the opposite end of this enclosure. The one is it, if you will, and the other guy's running from the guy who is it. And they, they do interviews afterwards, and they have all this hype, and, two, and there's bars and, and ramps and stuff they run around on. But the one guy, literally, like when we were all in elementary school, is chasing the other guy on live TV. Um, can I just tell you, as it comes to focus in our life and, and being focused on what God wants us to be focused on, listen to me, what we do and what we look at after the enemy says, tag your it, shapes much of where we're going to end up at the end of that crisis. And we've all been dinged and we've all been tagged and probably not too far removed from this moment. What are we doing when the enemy tags us? And so we're looking at this moment in David's life, a low ebb, if you will, and his, his build up to assuming the throne of Israel. Notice the focus that David uh, exemplifies. All right, let's talk about two things that we can learn from this situation. Number one, biblically resolved distress that leaves you powerless. That leaves you power, powerless. And we see here in the text that these men were stripped of their power. They had no power left to resolve or to even process this situation they stumbled upon. Now, if you go back to verse 1, it says, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that's a key phrase. 
from what we know, Aphek, which is mentioned back in chapter 29 in verse 1, uh, which is in the Sharon region, um, likely was 70 miles from Aphek to Ziklag, and they covered that entire distance in only three days. Which means when they came over the hill, I assume there was a hill before they saw Ziklag, they had traveled at a forced march pace for three days. And so they're already, I'm sure they were pacing themselves. I'm going to come home to some good cooking and going to be with the wife and kids and I'm going to kick up my feet. And as they crested that hill, already in a place of great weakness, they discover now their worst nightmare. And so David and his men come now on the heels of this forced march and you see them discover at the end of verse 1 that their hometown has been burned with fire. And in verse 2, their family has been taken. Let me give you a couple things under that that we need to work through as we feel powerless in the midst of a distressing season. Number one, grieving. The first thing that often leaves us powerless, grieving powerlessness. Um, I was at a Valentine banquet uh, two days ago. Uh, a pastor friend of mine in Mount Vernon invited us to be there and minister to their family. And I shared a statement in that Valentine banquet. Here's the statement about grief. Grief, it's one of the best definitions I've heard practically, grief is just love with no place to go. And I shared that statement in our, in our uh, devotional there, and I had a lady come up to me, a sweet lady, who had only lost her husband, I think she said two months before that night, two, she said two months ago today, and she wanted to make sure she got it wrote, written down right, and she was just processing the grief. I could see it. She didn't say much, we just, and I can't fully empathize, but I just... We care for you. How do now be praying for you? Grief that leaves you powerless. And so we see David here in verse 2. He realizes that his family has been taken, the families of those that followed him. Verse 3 seems to indicate uh, that it's just been burned. In fact, the smoke was probably the language there, the tense of the verbs, that likely there was, it had just happened and still was smoldering as they uh, begin to walk through the streets or the lanes between the residents as they're looking for their loved ones. And then in verse 4, you notice that they, there's this great lament. They lift up their voices and weep. Notice, until they had no uh, more power to weep. These grown warrior men reduced to powerless grievers. And in verse 5, it adds the, the personal note of David's own family being taken and all that he had to have been lamenting in um, that moment. Can I encourage you today that when you enter a season of trauma, that grief is actually not the antithesis to healing and restoration and renewal, but it's the means to it? Um, I think especially we men at times, we fight that, and maybe you ladies feel that pressure socially at times, but grieving our losses is actually one of the healthiest things that we can do. Um, and so you see David wisely uh, not immediately springing into action, but allowing the, the process of grief to be played out in the hearts of not only his own uh, heart, but the hearts of his men that were around him. And I've been thinking about this as it relates to COVID. There are some in this room, you lost your spouse, and we didn't even have a funeral for them. Or we did, and there were only two or three of us that were able to attend that service. And it's interesting to me how grief has to be a part of us processing trauma or we cannot receive the healing that God gives us. And I just want to ask you today, again, this is not a let's all commiserate and just you know, be victims this morning, but are there things in your life that you have not properly grieved and that's why you can't shake it? Uh, be willing to own that and get, get support and help from spirit-filled, biblically-based believers to encourage you uh, in maybe that thing that's unresolved. Um, statement today, maybe jot this down in your notes. Before we can receive all that God provides to the distressed believer, we must first grieve ourselves empty. Before we can receive all that, the God, all that God provides to the distressed believer, we must first grieve ourselves empty. And often our pride and our deflection and I'm good and you're good, so let's just pretend everything's okay, keeps a barrier up or occupies a space that should be filled with the comfort and the grace of God. And so let this grieving powerlessness be a part of you processing trauma, resolving trauma God's way. What David did here in verses 1 to 5 was not sinful. What David did here was not faithless. It was human. 
It was human. The body, listen to me, keeps score. You're a human being put in flesh and blood. You have emotions. You have a body. And when your body is responding naturally to that process, don't resist that. Allow God to sanctify that process and redeem it for his greater purpose. All right, go to the end of verse 6. We'll come back to the tension mentioned at the beginning of verse 6 in a moment. But notice what David does on the heels of this grief that leaves him powerless. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Number two, not only should we go through the process of grieving powerlessness, number two, encouraging powerlessness. Being in a position of powerlessness can produce in our lives great encouragement. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And here's kind of what that means. His faith in God supplied him with the inward resources of comfort and of energy that he was going to need to navigate uh, this season God had allowed in his life. And so he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I've said this before and I'll say it again, but one of the things we need, the mantra in our head should be, stop listening to yourself, start talking to yourself. And the verse I often use would be Psalm 42 uh, and 6, as well as verse 11, where the psalmist, David, repeats, Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and, excuse me, and my God. Talk to yourself. Tell yourself, I'm going to put my hope in God. God. And so the encouragement that comes in this season of weakness for David. At this point, think about this, David did not realize how close he was to the seat of power. It's amazing to me how few moments, we don't know exactly how long, but between chapter 30, which is the low point of David, which we only have the chapter 31, which is Saul being killed, the distance between 1 Samuel 30 and 2 Samuel chapter 1, when David begins to ascend the throne, literally are just moments apart. In this low moment for David, when he feels most powerless, is the closest he's ever been to power, and God enthroning him and using him to be the next king of Israel. So we draw strength, we draw encouragement from the Lord uh, in a very intentional way. This habit of talking to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves, listen to me, must be developed before we're in the crisis. David didn't wait till this moment to scramble some verses together. He had built up this fortitude and this fellowship with God on the hillsides, watching the sheep and penning the words of these familiar psalms. He had built up for this moment to go back to God for encouragement. And so this morning, may I submit to you, feeling overwhelmed is not the antithesis, but the means to supernatural power flooding your heart and life. Embrace that. Accept that. Uh, welcome what God has chosen to use to free you up to experience His power more fully. 2, Samuel 12, or 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10 says this, Therefore I take pleasure, we touched on this verse last night, in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions, in, here's the word, distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And so may we lean into those things God allows, even the tough ones, the difficult ones. Those watching uh, at home or at the hospital this morning, God is using what we're going through to give us greater power. All right, last thing on that, we'll move on. Brother Carney and I, Josh and I have talked about this regularly at different times. You notice in church sometimes that all the songs are smiley and upbeat and Everything's just great. We're just God's amazing and life's just perfect. And if we're not careful, our praise can almost lean toward a prosperity gospel and its feel. And then one of us in our midst or more, and there are several I know in the room today from what I know, you're, you're grieving and you had a tough week and it's just been a tough year or two for you. And you're in a season of great loss and discouragement. And sometimes that praise is hard to access. It's hard to enter into that. And so we've been talking about, and whether you've picked up on it or not, we've worked in what are called laments, or just, God, I'm, I'm working through things, and yet you're good, and you're faithful, and processing the, the realities of living in a fallen world. I heard an author the other day that said this as it relates to laments. He said, a lament, as we see David doing here, does not call God's character into question, but into action. I love that. 
A lament does not call God's character into question. It says, God, do something. And that's what David's about to open up his heart and life to. And when you do that, you're encouraging yourself in the Lord your God. I think the church, and one reason we have these wellness weekends, the church is a place to come and not pretend we're okay when we're not. And then to say, God, but you're, you're everything and you're sufficient. And I open up my heart and life to the comfort and the joy and the peace that you provide. All right, now go back to our text at the beginning of verse 6. David had to process his grief and the powerlessness that it produced, but notice the second challenge he had to navigate that left him distressed. And David was greatly distressed, so he's already processing everything he has lost or thought he has lost. For the people, his fellow teammates, those that were with him and under him, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Number two, jot this down. Biblical resolve distress that leaves you vulnerable. So powerless. Number two, distress that leaves you vulnerable. Not only does post-traumatic stress, if we want to use that term, leave you feeling powerless, it also often leaves you extremely exposed and vulnerable to follow-up attacks. David had no resources. He had, in fact, his own men that he had stood with and fought with and marched with. They're now turning on him. And what is he going to do in the midst of this season? And so we see him, as he mentions, the end of verse 6 we read, in the face of all of that, he encourages himself in the Lord his God. All right, what are a couple of areas of vulnerability that we need to resolve biblically uh, with the Lord's help? Number one, jot this down, inquiring vulnerability inquiring vulnerability. The longer I live, the more I think it's less about having the right answers. It's more about asking the right questions. Um, All the answers have already been settled, right? The problem is we don't come to the Word with the right question, and so we miss out on where the Word intersects with our need or our ignorance or our foolishness or whatever the case may be. And so uh, we need to ask the right questions. Notice what David does. No dialogue with the men, no trying to minimize the tension. Notice what he does in verse 7. He encourages himself in the Lord, and then what does he do in verse 7? And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. David inquired at the Lord, saying, here's the inquiry. Shall I pursue after this troop? Here's the second question. Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord, answered him. Man, that had to be a moment. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. And so we need to respond to the sensation of vulnerability by asking God. Asking God for direction. Maybe not the why question. Be careful with that one. But God, where do you want me to go next? What do you want me to do? What, what, what is my responsibility as I steward the distress that leaves me vulnerable? Now, we don't know a lot about the Urim and the Thummim, but this is a reference to that. And it was probably a breastplate that the priest would wear. We do know that. But as far as how it would work, how did they consult God through this mechanism, these two stones, the Urim and the Thummim, that's fun to say, um, what was the, the significance of that? Now, it's only referenced a few times in Scripture, but was typically used to seek God on questions or crises that were beyond human perception, where the one leading, specifically the nation of Israel, didn't know what to do next, they would use this as a source of direction from God. And the best guess that we have would be one of the stones, if it lit up, was the positive. Yes. The other stone, if it lit up, was no. And so David here consults with Abiathar, the priest, and through this mechanism that God had provided to the Jewish people, He seeks God's leadership uh, in his life. Now, here's a key statement this morning that I think we all probably need work on. In the deep depression that David found himself, the deep, traumatic, stressful moment he is in, he doesn't lose his faith in the Lord with an accusatory tone. Instead, he looks immediately to God to learn his will, an inquisitive tone. When I'm in a traumatic moment, the first thing I do is I start wagging my finger at God and blaming God and questioning God and accusing God. Instead of, God, you're in control of all things. You've chosen this moment. I'm going to praise you in the ashes as Job did. And now tell me what to do next. 
Tell me what not to do next. Guide me, direct me. And so instead of having an accusatory tone, David wisely stewards this moment with one of inquisition. He seeks God's will. What would happen when we're in trauma if instead of then making a few moves after that in our own wisdom, in our own emotional orientation, we stopped and just said, God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? We often compound what has occurred in our lives by doing something without uh, his guidance. And I just want to encourage you, this church and your fellow believers in this room, if you're in the midst of a traumatic season, seek out counsel, seek out fellowship, seek out uh, encouragement. Don't go down that path because I have found in my fallenness, I tend to want to do and to do what is least productive for me when I'm struggling. My natural bent and proclivity is to do what is actually worse for me. Uh, And so may we seek out godly counsel in the areas that God has put in our lives. I don't have a Urim and a Thummim, but I have a wife, right, who is the source of all knowledge in my life, okay, Um, especially where I'm I'm off. She's very, very readily able to share that. I'm not looking at her for a reason right now, but anyway, so, but I mean, in all seriousness, don't we all have those people? Uh, Our teenagers, I love to see God stirring in their hearts. They have parents God's given them. They're stuck with us, okay? Um, Many of us have, we have people that God has hand-selected in our life. We have the Word of God there. We have the Spirit here. Uh, We have no excuse to not seek His face, even on the brink or on the backside of some trauma. All right, notice the end of verse 8. And we read it, but notice God's promise. So you don't just see the stone lighting up as likely as what may be happened. God speaks to him directly. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. Notice, and without fail, recover all. God's word, despite how David felt, assured him of ultimate success. And I remind us of that today. Though this world may take things from us, though sin and the curse and the fall in our broken world may take some stuff from us, in the end, if we know Christ as Savior, we recover all. Without fail, we recover all. All. And so we need reminded of that right at the beginning and right in the moment in which we're processing that stressful trauma. Kind of this key statement this morning as it relates to this, David so wisely models for us, the only way to overcome the feelings of extreme vulnerability during stressful seasons is to shift the focus from man's attacking words, even our own, to God's answering words. Whose words do you hang upon? Whose words do you bank upon when you're in the midst of a difficult season? One of the neatest things I had, several, there's just, someone asked me again last night, what stuck out to you about your Holy Land trip? And it's just, that's just such a loaded question. I mean, I could go on forever, just so many little things. But some of the things that snuck up on me were hearing things that had nothing to do with a physical sight, but just through the lens of a Jewish perspective, helped me in my Western thinking uh, to maybe see some blind spots or maybe some ignorance uh, or short-sightedness on my part. One of the things that was interesting was we went down to the Dead Sea. Sometime I'll show you the video of us floating in the Dead Sea. It was like 60 degrees. The water was only maybe 40 or 40, so it was a little cool. But you literally, you just, you just walk out, and there's just shelves of, of salt, like how there'd be like sandbars. They're just salt out, and you just walk out, and you literally just sit down and just lay back, and you don't, you don't even have to have your feet in the water, your arms, just your back. All you need is just your back. You can stick your arms and legs straight up and just float. It's the weirdest thing. It's a little hard to get up after you get down there, but it was just kind of, but anyways, we were driving down the Dead Sea. Um, the Qumran caves were off to our right. Uh, we went up Masada and experienced some of that as well. But as we were working our way down the Dead Sea, on the right were these Qumran caves, if you remember, where they found almost the entire Old Testament intact in these pottery vessels that had been abandoned by whoever many years before. So we're driving down, and the guide's telling us about it. We didn't stop at the little museum that's there uh, for sake of time, but the guide was telling us this, which is so neat. So in the museum, there are none of the originals they found in the caves, Um, He said, but they are kept here in Israel in a nuclear blast secure vault in an undisclosed location. And then he said this in his, he he was Swiss Swiss accent in English. 
He said, isn't that interesting when we think of the verse, heaven and earth shall pass, but my word shall never pass away. And I'm telling you, though the world rattles and shakes and rumbles, the word of God is a secure foundation. It's, it's secure not just because the Israelis have it in a bunker this morning or this evening for them, but it's secure because it's based upon the character and the compassion and the sufficiency of our God. And so whose words do you turn to? I know me when I'm stressed and going through a difficult season, I talk a lot and I reach out to a lot of others before I get centered on the word of God. And so may, David give us the, may David's example give us the model to inquire of the Lord before we do anything during a stressful season. All right, go to verse 9. So David, all right, he gets clarity from God. Notice what he does. So David went. Think about how depleted he is, how overwhelmed he is. He's just, he is spent, and yet God tells him to go. David, verse uh, 9, went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor. Number two, not only must our vulnerability be that of inquiry or inquiring of God, number two, obeying. Obeying vulnerability. Assured of full recovery, David now leads his men who are still grieving and probably still wiping the tears from their eyes and the death look they're maybe even giving to David. And he says to them, God's told me what to do. And so he encourages them to get up again and to go after these Amalekites as God had instructed. Um, I don't know if I've shared this illustration before, but there's a group of guys called Do Perfect. Have you heard of these guys? And they do all these trick shots, and I think we talked about them. But there was a statement in an interview I heard recently where the, one of the main guys said, as he was talking about trick shots, almost any shot is possible if you're willing to put in the reps. Do you remember me sharing that, I think, a month or so ago? Almost any shot is possible if you're willing to put in the reps, like thousands and thousands of times. And some of us have watched thousands and thousands of hours of them practicing those shots. Can I say as it relates to trauma and to stress, if you're willing to just not back away from following God, you can get through almost anything. In fact, I think you can get through anything. If you just say, everything else may be in play, but I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey Him, and I'm going to obey Him, and I'm going to obey Him. We don't feel our way through crisis. We obey our way through crisis. Emotions are a part of who we are, but their rule primarily is not to guide us. It is to reinforce when we're on the right path. And so may we obey our way, not feel our way through that crisis moment. Psalm 119, 165, great peace of they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Nothing when we're in the word will cause us to stumble. Um, that peace, I love that song the ensemble just sang, the peace of God, the shalom of God, which isn't just tranquility or safety from all trauma, Instead, it refers to wholeness, completeness, well-being. Even in the midst of difficulty, God gives to us his peace. May I ask you a question before we move to our second point this morning? Whose words are shaping your response to trauma, to stress? Is it man's words, including your own, or is it God's? Where do you need to prepare on a more regular basis to be in God's word and to allow it to be the ballast of your soul before the next crisis that God allows. Um, in Romans chapter 8, do you remember where it talks about, in verse 22, all of creation is groaning for the redemption of the body and of our world? And previously, prior to verse 22 and verse 16, it says that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry what? Abba, or Abba, Father, Daddy. One of the coolest things about our trip was we went to Shiloh, was the one site I remember where the tabernacle was for almost 400 years, and the, the sons of that tour guide I mentioned to you were with him, and they were wandering around. You know, this is a site with remnants of ancient civilizations, and uh, they would pick up a stone or they'd pick up a piece of pottery. Pottery was everywhere there, and they would, just, they would say literally, Abba, Abba, like is this significant? And, and especially the first few times we heard those little boys, the little Jewish boys, just running around saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. Can I remind you, we have an Abba. He hears us, and he knows where you're at today. And the worst gut-wrenching thing you can imagine or you're experiencing today, he's accessible, he's available, he's near you. Let his word, let his spirit 
draw nigh to you in this season. All right, secondly, if you will, go back to our text now, the end of verse 9. We see a second area in which stress in its traumatic levels can be extremely hard to navigate. Notice at the end of verse 9 it says, So he takes all 600 with him, came to the brook Bezor. Notice where those that were left behind stayed. And then verse 10 explains it. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over brook Bezor. Number two, jot this down. We need focus when we are disappointed. We need focus during intense seasons when we are disappointed, specifically in others. Um, I heard someone the other day, tongue-in-cheek, say this. We just had a good men's session today. I didn't tell any jokes that Heidi would be mad at me about, I think. All right, guys? But I heard this the other day. A guy said, it takes a lot of courage for a man to admit that his wife is wrong. It takes a lot of courage, right? You're probably also an idiot if you do that, all right? It takes a lot of courage. You know, one of the things that I think we process in the midst of stressful seasons, listen to me, is not only the distress of the moment, but those who let us down. Um, I often hear this from those who lose their spouse or go through a gut-wrenching experience. People just don't understand, and they, they weren't maybe there for me in the ways that I needed, and sometimes those people didn't mean it that way. They just didn't know what to say or do, but you feel like I'm kind of in this alone, and people left me hanging. And David here had to process not just the distress, these who had turned on him are now bailing on him. And so he had to process and keep focus even in the midst of this disappointment. All right, a couple things about that. Number one, jot this down, biblically resolved disappointment that leaves you de depleted. Biblically uh, resolved disappointment that leaves you depleted. There's nothing that compounds trauma like having people falter when you most feel powerless yourself. They aren't in the midst of a difficult season, but they don't stand with you, and they don't pray with you, and they don't support you through that for whatever reason. And what we do when we feel that disappointment determines whether the trauma will be resolved or it will be perpetuated. We have to deal with the disappointments in those seasons. All right. Notice what David deals with. First, jot this down, idealistic depletion. So the ideal, what he would have preferred was not 400 men chasing the Amalekites, but all 600. Idealistic depletion. He missed what I'm sure he would have longed to have in this group. It's interesting because where it talks about them being faint, um, 200 abode which were so faint, that word in the original, in the noun form, has the idea of corpse. They literally were like dead men. They had literally nothing left. They had been forced marched. They found and discovered their families missing. They were physically, emotionally, completely depleted. So David had to be willing to move on after he leaves them, the beginning of verse 10, but David pursued. He moved forward despite a less than ideal situation. Key thought today, much stress in our lives is the result of pursuing perfectionism and unrealistic expectations in a very fallen and broken world. I think often our fretting and fuming is we expect today to be perfect, and I'm telling you, it's not going to be perfect. And we expect everybody to know what to say and when to do it, and, and, and life just, I mean, are you kidding me? And yet I enter days with that same mindset, and the stress and the fretting and the fuming is when any inconvenience horns in on that perfect scenario we have in our minds. I was on the phone with a pastor on Friday, um, just took over. He's been a senior pastor for six weeks, and I was asking him how that's going, and just excited to see new young men willing to serve in ministry. And um, I was encouraging him because he's in the honeymoon phase. Everybody loves him. He's amazing. His sermons are so great and all of that. And, and I, was, I was I'm like, that's awesome. I love to hear that. But... That's going to end, okay? And I tried to lovingly, as he already knows in principle, and I said to him this idea. I said, I think you need to think about, for what it's worth, stewarding well this kind of this, this run, this, uh, runway you have to prepare for the first crisis or disagreement or tension you're going to have in your church. I said, I would be investing in that and preparing for that and not wait until it happens and be shocked by it. But the analogy I used with him was this in boxing. Boxing isn't maybe as mainstream as it used to be uh, as far as everybody being in the loop on who the heavyweight champion of the world is. 
But boxing, they have a term they call, they use called rolling with the punch. And the idea is that you know the opponent's going to swing, right? You know the, the opponent's going to punch. You actually absorb a lot of the energy of the punch by seeing it coming. And the analogy I would give you or the application of that would be this. We need to roll with the punches more of what we know is going to be a part of our day-to-day. Like we're shattered by things that we should at least be able to roll with a bit. We all in this room outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are going to die, right? And probably before we die, someone we love dearly is going to die. Many of you have had that and you're still navigating that. And we go through illness and sickness and despair and depression. It's all a part of living in a broken world. And so may we not be shattered by the ideal that we have in our heads. Instead, may we prepare for it uh, by getting free of this idealistic kind of view of life itself. All right, go to verse 10. So David, he pursues, notice, he and 400 men. Number two, jot this down, deferring, deferring depletion. David defers to these who are weak. He takes the 400 who are still able to go over the brook and to pursue after the Amalekites and to recover all. He defers to these who can't. He goes forward with those who can't. Far too often, when we are in a traumatic season, we focus on the one-third who disappoint us instead of the two-thirds that stuck with us. And what I have found, if I view this, and this is hard to do as I will be the first to admit, is actually the depletion or the fading of some should instead help me to appreciate who are still with me. That's a positive view. Not everyone was able or even willing to, but these, God kept them close to me and supported me. And instead of us drawing from their support, we're complaining to those left about those who left us and discouraging them further and compounding and prolonging uh, what would have otherwise been uh, resolved. And so defer to those who are weak, just let go of that and lean into those that God keeps in your life uh, during that season. When you go through a traumatic season of life, there are going to be even well-meaning people who just let you down. That's just part, that's just part of life. Your full recovery requires staying focused upon God, what He's called you to do, and to be with or without their help everything that God has required you to be. I'll give you one last example on this. We'll move on. Think of Job. Pastor Josh mentioned in the opening prayer as he was processing that first song, it is well with our soul. Um, And I was thinking of that phrase, even the waves and the wind still know his name. That's probably my favorite line of that song. Um, Those waves and the wind. I was on the Sea of Galilee just a few weeks ago and the the waves and the rocking of that, and they still know his name. But I was thinking of Job, as that was mentioned earlier, what freed Job ultimately from his trauma? Did he, did, he, did he get everything back and the kids that had died in the whirlwind are resurrected and they're standing before him? Is that what resolved it in his heart and life? No. Job 42.10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. The counselors that piled on and said, you're not right with God and that's why this has happened. And they, they literally piled on when he needed them to share in the, 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 the burdens and challenges he was facing. When he prayed for his friends, the Lord turned the captivity of Job. And it ends with, also Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What freed him was when he let go of those who had disappointed him. Those who piled on when they should have shouldered with him. Are you willing to let go and let God turn that captivity that maybe still lingers? All right, lastly, go to verse 21. So they it's a big, you know, hurrah, they get everything back, they attack the Amalekites, they find a straggler that helps them find the camp, and it's a great story, rah, rah, rah. But notice verse 21, and David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had also, uh, they had uh, made also to abide the brook Bezor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and the men of Belial of those Uh, that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, saved every man, his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Notice how David responds to this proposition. Then said, David, you shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into 
our hand. Lastly, jot this down. Biblically resolved disappointment that leaves you vengeful. Biblically resolved disappointment that leaves you vengeful. Um, I saw this picture the day before I show it to you. Here's the caption. All right, so here's the caption of the picture. The doctor asked me to spend at least one hour per day on the treadmill. Have you ever gotten that from your doctor? Listen, you better start exercising or we're going to be meeting about something else. And here was the picture of this guy (laughs) obeying his doctor a whole hour on the treadmill. Can I just say to you as it relates to how we work our way out of stressful situations and trauma and all the baggage that comes with that, many times we view ourselves in a passive way. I'm just going to wait for God to show up and just do something. The problem is when we're in that passive state, some emotions begin to creep in. Some emotions that when we're stagnant, they turn to bitterness. They turn to us shriveling up and just thinking on all who have wronged us and everything that we didn't deserve. And so we need to make sure we don't allow this vengeance to gain root. All right, two things about that. Number one, selfish vengeance. And we see that reference in 21 to 23. These soldiers, the 400 that were the faithful ones, they thought they were entitled to more than those who had faded and faltered. And yet David, I love in verse 23, who does he say gets the credit for the recovery? God does. You're not going to like this statement, but when we get through a stressful season and we still have lingering vengeance and bitterness, that reveals where we think we got ourselves through it. When I am absolutely grateful and overwhelmed and worshipful to the God who helped me get through and is still helping me through a season, I don't hold anything against anybody because I don't deserve any of what God's doing. Often it is our self-absorption, it's our, it's our selfishness that keeps us in this state of seeking revenge. Um, maybe just because it's on my mind with where I've been this last month, but I heard someone say, I haven't verified this to the letter, but somebody said if we held a 10-second silence for every victim of the Holocaust, we would not speak for five years. 10 seconds per victim adds up to five years of silence. And I think many of us are being silenced by those who have wronged us. We're being muted where we should be thriving. We're being hindered by things in our past and folks aren't even aware of what they've discouraged us in. It's time to move forward and we see David willing to do that uh, in this season. Another thought as it relates to this selfishness, what about the kids mentioned here? What about the wives mentioned here? Often I think in the midst of intense seasons, we forget that how I'm navigating trauma and stress is affecting those who take their cues from me emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Um, I have found this to be true, and those who work in these fields probably could attest to this as well. Anybody can recover from almost anything as long as the person in authority or given responsibility to help them through that doesn't drop the ball. I've heard of folks that they go through trauma and then they're traumatized again because their pastor or their parent or their neighbor tries to invalidate or excuse or brush under the rug something that needs to be dealt with. And so how you deal with trauma, how you deal with stress will largely impact those that you influence. So don't be selfish. Think about the bigger picture as we see David modeling. All right, and then in verse 24 and 25, David goes on, and we're done. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part or divide alike. Verse 25, and it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. Lastly, defied vengeance. David defied the vengeance that was in the hearts of his men. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Earlier, who did these men want to practice vengeance toward? David. David could have easily, if he'd been thinking in a self-serving way, just slowly backed away and let them settle this disagreement on their own. He'd been through a lot. Think about everything David had been through. He could have easily made this moment about him. But he was a leader. He was a servant. And instead, he interjects himself into this tension and points them in the right direction that continued to be an ordinance uh, in the nation. Um, There's a question I hear bannered about a lot, and unfortunately, I think we often have a wrong view of it. Here's the question I would ask you, and then you think in your mind what would be your answer. Do we have to wait to forgive someone 
until they ask for forgiveness. All right, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. There might be a few that you were thinking the opposite of that. The Bible is clear. I could give you multiple examples, but Mark 11.25 would be one. When you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, not if they ask, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. We are to grant forgiveness to those around us. Now, can it be fully received and applied? No, without their receiving of it and asking for it. But we grant to them forgiveness. Key statement today. You must forgive whether a person has asked forgiveness from you or not. Here's the thought, not original with me. Only after you do that will your pursuit of justice be about justice and not vengeance. So a wrongdoer needs to be held accountable. But if I have not released them personally from what they've caused me, my pursuit likely will be that of vengeance, not that of justice. All right, I want to show you a couple of resources, and I'll give you a closing illustration. We'll be done. I shared this book last night. This would be more about incremental stress. I'd write down these books. This allows there to be um, not as short a shelf life, maybe to our uh, wellness weekend. I would encourage you to read this book. It just came out a week ago. It's a great book on the stress-less life by Vance Pittman. So that would apply more to our study last night. Uh, and then this will be the book as it relates to traumatic stress uh, by a gentleman named Jeremy Lelec. It's a short book. It's probably only 40 pages. I use these gospel for real life series a lot in counseling. There's ones on other resources as well. But this one specifically is on post-traumatic stress and speaks the Bible and speaks truth and deals with the other issues as it relates to trauma. So those would be two resources I would encourage you to check out and purchase if the Lord leads you to do that um, in the weeks to come. All right, I want to show you one last picture, and I think this illustrates our point today. Uh, the lady you see in front of you is a, gen- a lady named Hannah Catton, who for some time, according to the article that just came out this week, told doctors something was wrong with her body. And again and again, Hannah, the lady on the left, it's the same lady, but in that period of her life, kept going to the doctors expl- uh, complaining of extreme pain and physical irregularities, um, that she knew something was off. And, almost, and after almost a dozen physicians had told her that she was young, she was healthy, and they actually had ascribed it simply probably just to a little too much stress, um, she kept struggling and gained weight and, and had all kinds of struggles. And finally, just this past fall, uh, she collapsed in pain and just went to the emergency room and said, listen, something is wrong with me. Something deeply is wrong with me. And um, so they uh, looked further and found on one of her ovaries a cancerous tumor, roughly the size, four and a half pounds, roughly the size of a volleyball inside of her. And that's her undergoing treatment. They just released the story this past week as she's recovering. Everybody was saying it was external. Everybody was saying it was superficial. But there was something inside of her that had to be resolved. It was only growing uh, and metastasizing as it went. It, it had to be dealt with. And I'm just telling you, stress has to be dealt with. Trauma has to be dealt with. And the only way to deal with it is to own it and identify it and respond to it the way we see uh, this man, David, that we so respect doing. And so our focus must be upon the Lord. All right, I read this and then we'll pray. Um, remember we talked about the moon landing. Some of you don't believe it happened. We won't open that can of worms today, okay? Maybe I don't. I don't know. I won't let you know which way I feel on that. I, don't, I know the earth is not flat, okay, just for the record, okay? Um, but one of the things they did when they sent Apollo 11 to the moon is they had a microchip with messages from the leaders of the world in that day. So every leader put something on this little disc that then was uh, planted there on the moon along with the American flag. And one of them was a statement of goodwill from the president of the Ivory Coast. And I just want to give you this closing kind of illustration of our perspective. Here was his statement that is on that microchip today. If you believe it's on the moon, then it's, this is there, okay? Um, he said, I would hope that when this passenger from the sky leaves man's imprint on the lunar soil, he will feel how proud we are to belong to the generation that accomplished this feat. I also hope that he will tell the moon how beautiful it is when it illuminates the night of the Ivory Coast. I thought that was a neat ad there. And then he said this, I especially wish that he would turn toward our planet Earth and cry out how insignificant the problems which torture men are when viewed from up there. And may I say to you today, not discounting what you've been through or what you're going through, but through the lens of where God is and what he's doing, 
They're a bit smaller than they feel today. And they're well within the scope of God's power, His grace, His love, and His peace. When you get distressed and you get disappointed, the way through that is to look to God and let Him look back at those problems and give you the perspective that you need. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today.